Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Glory to Jesus Christ, Mikey. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory be forever. <laughs> there are different translations. Glory forever is what we Glory say. Glory forever. In the, in the Ruthenian oh, Byzantine church. I did it. So, I was so close. Glory indeed. <laughs> indeed he is glory. Yeah. Glory. <laughs> indeed he is risen is the Easter Glo- one. Glory forever. Yes, there you That's, go. That's Okay, so we what do we say? Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. Yeah, okay. I say that at the end of mass. I don't know where I picked that up, but Oh, like after the dismissal. Yeah, so after the you do this recessional thing and then um usually you go you could you could either like process back to the sacristy. Right. And then, or just like outside the church, you know, there's a processional cross, and you usually bow to the crucifix and say right. something. Some people say proceed, okay, pro omnibus et singulis, or ah, proceed in eternum, or something like this. Right. And uh, I, one version is in English, we say, praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Okay, I, I've heard that too. I think that's what they did at the seminary, wasn't it? Yeah, they probably have some think, tradition like that. See, we used to have, like back in the day, there were these Leonine prayers uh, that uh, Pope Leo asked that all the priests would pray um, a St. Michael the Archangel mm-hmm. prayer and an Our Father, okay. Hail Mary, Glory Be, all these things right after Mass. Okay. And it w- there were preparatory prayers and then after Mass prayers. Right. And it just kind of piled up to the point where with this new, the Novus Ordo and all that liturgical reform, yeah. they kind of cut the extra ah. devotional stuff. In the mass, but also yeah. outside, yeah. And so some of it has just been shortened. Like you still want, you, there's some intuitive impulse to say we should say some kind of prayer before yeah. mass, right? And some sort of prayer to close, just to stay in that sacred yeah. zone, yeah. even though now it's not required. You know? Yeah, because I, I mean, it is a prayer. You're starting the prayer with the sign of the cross at, at yeah at mass, you yeah. know, or the liturgy. But there is something for the priest of just like okay. Now I'm I'm out of socializing mode or whatever, right? And I'm getting into prayer mode. Yeah. So we we as a we as Byzantine clergy do have you know required prayers before you even enter the holy place. So like before you enter into the altar area, you say prayers to the door, and you say it with the deacon. So they're 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 public in a sense with the deacon, but not but the people generally don't overhear. And then you and then you have other prayers that are required that you say while you're vesting, and the, right, the yeah. vesting prayers are. I mean, it's interesting. I've tried to like meditate upon like when you put on the right cuff, you're talking about power and strength. You put on the left cuff, you're talking about the commandments. You put on the um, the stikarian, the, the the kind of the white um, garment underneath and everything else. You're, you're you're talking like the a wedding. I mean, you're saying like, oh yeah, clothe me with, with with salvation and the kind of the beauty of a of a. Bride Is that and a your bride alb? Who, what we would call exactly? Alb? Yep. Okay, the yep. white baptismal type. Yeah, of garment. exactly. So there's all these things, but but I. I was reading, so I, I say Mass for the Sisters of Life here in Denver, and they have the the vesting prayers for the Roman Mass in English right there in the sacristy. So right. I say that was on vesting, and and it is so. I mean, you know that we, you and I, I think even did a podcast on on the yeah, vesting I prayers, think we right? Did, yeah. We did. That's a long time ago. My gosh, years. Um, but there, there's there. It's so insistent upon purity, and I I love about the Roman vesting prayers, and I thought, I think it was like maybe. Three weeks ago, when I was when I was doing it, I was vesting. I was going. There's such a of an awareness of of, of clergy's impurity nowadays. Mm. I thought if every priest read these prayers before every single mass, which in the Roman tradition is is every day. You know, you yeah. say mass every day. If every priest said these prayers, it's like it, it has to be convicting. It, it's like right there, God saying, "I want you to be pure, and I'm giving you every ability to be pure." You know, there, there's a prayer um, that that uh, in the Byzantine Compline service, where the the abbot of a monastery, the hegumen, or or a, a priest, whoever the celebrant is, is standing before the Mother of God in in Compline in in night prayer, and pretty much saying, "I am horribly impure, and temptations always come late at night, so please." And you're you're standing in front of the icon of the Mother of God, begging the most pure one we call her mm. for purity. And I thought, if only every priest, because that's not required of us, but like if only every priest prayed these prayers every single night, there's like this, it's this constant reminder, like be that be pure, like like that. That's such a important virtue. And I thought the yeah. church provides these things for us. We just don't do it. Well, maybe <laughs> you can require it. 
When you're the patriarch. Right. <laughs> there we go. Patriarch of uh, Denver. Um, is it, yeah. Are, are they all patriarchs? I don't know. Eparchs? Um, yeah, Park is, is of, of a, yeah, exactly. All the Neighborhood are arc. Eparchs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, so. I just read that, that letter that John sent us about every, every, every bishop. Did you read that one? No. I, I forget what it's called right now. But anyway, John sent us this, uh, John, uh, Father John Nepple sent us all this article. Um, he, and he just said, like, this guy gets it. He sent it to our, our hangouts um, for the companions. But it was like, it, and I, I agree with him. He said, like, every, every bishop, instead of being called your excellency, your grace, that are all called these imperial language, we should call every bishop and priest and, and patriarch and cardinal, just call them father. Oh, okay. Like call them all father. Because, and he was saying this is this is the way to go. Exactly, because father he gave all these practical uh, practical helps to kind of um, kind of reduce the the kind of worldly culture of worldly power that that's in the the Catholic hierarchy nowadays. You know, oh. and he said one of the ways is just the father is scriptural. You know, Saint Paul says, you know, I am your father, yeah. Yeah, and he often just calls them little children, my my children, right? And he says, use that instead of these kind of imperial titles like your excellency, your grace that we we tend to call bishops. He's like, just call them what they are. They're they're, they're fathers, and they should be fathers. He also says like there should be no auxiliary bishops. In other words, you should never have a titular see as a bishop. In other words, you should you should always have actual human beings that you're actually shepherding. Now you now you're using the Catholic talk. So titular see oh, yes. is that every <laughs> bishop. You, it has to has to have some territory that he's responsible for, but because we need assistant bishops, right, um, called auxiliary bishops, um, that are going to be re- that are going to be helping in a diocese that already belongs the responsibility belongs to an archbishop yeah. or a, another bishop. The auxiliary bishops are given this sort of nominal place. They're bishop over this underwater diocese, (laughs) this town that used to be a a Christian place, but nobody lives there. Right, right. And it's become kind of farcical. It's a little nonsensical because bishop, by his his role or by his identity, is supposed to be the leader of a people. Yes. And the uh, by canon law, he's become the uh, like can be a helper. And that's where you're saying, okay, this is this is kind of a str- yeah. Strange that, that's what phenomenon. this guy was saying. It's even like you know the curious. But we kind of need. We're kind of stuck in a place where, I mean, obviously this guy is trying to unstick us from right. some of the trappings of the yeah. tradition. He's saying he's in the curia in in Rome is like full of archbishops, and there's no reason why they have to be archbishops. You know, they they can be they can be priests. You know, they they don't they don't need to all be arch. And it's like an, it's kind of an honorary title given yeah. that, that is absolutely unnecessary in his opinion. Um, and I thought you know oh, that yeah, there there's something about about the, the humility of it, and like like I, I mean I know I know priests that sit in an office eight hours a day and do bookkeeping, and that then they go home and you know whatever live like a normal life in the evening, watch TV or whatever they they like doing. It's like that would be so unfulfilling to me because you you don't have. You don't have an explicit flock. Now, I've asked some of those priests, like, you sit in an office doing human resources and bookkeeping and, and administration all day long because you don't have a flock. You're just, like, helping out in a, in a chancery somewhere. And and every one of them, God bless them, says, my flock is you. I mean, <laughs> my, my flock is, is the priests who are in the parishes that I'm helping out as a yeah. worker in the chancery. You know, the chancery is like the offices for the for the diocese. Um, and I thought, well, good answer. I mean, you mu- you must have to envision your flock somehow, you know, to say, because that's what we discern. I mean, yeah, every you got to serve discerns. somebody. you got to love exactly, somebody. Exactly, exactly. You're not going to go and work for nobody. Yeah, Basil's the great, Basil the great, beautiful phrase, if you don't live in community, whose feet will you wash? Yeah. You know? This is the Basil house. Yeah, this is When the we say house. Basil, we're talking about an old saint, Cappadocia. Yeah, not, exactly. not the herb that you <laughs> right. make uh, pesto out <laughs> in of. In our gardens, right, what exactly. Else? You can put it on pizza. I like basil. Thai well. basil is amazing. Thai basil. Thai basil and pho. Oh. Anyway, yes, but the... Uh, okay, the, so the it, this father. sounds <laughs> like it's related, this article that you're talking about. It sounds related to um, some of the conversation we had camping the other day. Oh, okay. The, some of the companions went camping okay. the other day. I wasn't able to go, but I, I'd love to hear what you talked and about. And it was... It's just funny that we... Because we all kind of nerd and talk shop and... Right. It's just <laughs> priests together. We were there was yeah. one point in time where we were like, we're never going to become like that, you know. Like you can't oh. have a normal conversation. But right, I tried to have a conversation <laughs> about like the Denver Broncos, which I'm trying to get into. You know, right? Um, they had just played, and I was listening to the game on the way up and stuff. Nice. And you know, there was maybe one other guy who followed it, and okay. they were 
sort of like, why are we talking about this? I'm like, right. ah, because of the other option. <laughs> we want to be normal. Churchy talk, man. <laughs> I'm trying to break free. <laughs> so anyway, thank God there's plenty of parishioners out there who are great Broncos yeah. fans, and I can talk to them. Uh, I just met this guy, Wally. I think he's a Johnson. Uh, but anyway, yesterday, and we got to talk about Broncos. He had a golf bag with Broncos on it and oh, everything. Nice. So. Anyway, we went camping, and um, I just it was it was a reminder of how much we love camping, yeah. and how like there's these little things that you have to have rights over, like who starts the fire. Oh yeah, yeah. And everybody's trying to call it, you know. Okay. Who's <laughs> who's cooking, and how do you cook properly? Yeah, yeah. Because one guy's cooking over the the you know open flame, right? And it's like whoa, whoa, whoa! You got to let those you know oh. burn down the coals, <laughs> or it's not going to be hot enough. You're not going to cook it. Right. You know, so there's all these little domestic gripes on the right. camp scene. You know, oh, you put your tent there. I don't know if you're allowed to put your tent there. <laughs> I love that stuff. I was uh, I was camping with um, a couple of friends, but uh, one of them was um, Kevin O'Brien. Oh, and yeah. Th- that guy knows how to camp. I mean, he knows how to, like, cook. Like, he, everything is just so basic for him. Like, he'll, he'll put a tortilla over a stick. And it's like hold the stick over the fire to heat the tortilla up, and then like then they'll put the cheese on it, put two sticks, so like it becomes like oh, a quesadilla, yes. and like it's just like this amazing camp food that you're like, I just put a hot dog on a stick and eat that. That's like my dinner, like the extent of it. Well, I have shaky, shaky hands, as you know, right? So I'm afraid of any of these stick little you and used skewers to me, yeah. or whatever. I lose food in the fire. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know, <laughs> I have to have this like big pan, those things that can lock the meats in. Right, you know, and has it's like a kind of an open um, grill or whatever, and then you hold it over there, or you put it on that, you know, the 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 grills on the can uh, a uh, fire pit. We'll just get you those booms like for cameras that that like allow you to move a lot, and it doesn't move. Like if you're making a movie, I did I did that for Christopher. The stability thing that's exactly very expensive camping. It was a it was. When when Christopher was filming that that priest video that I'm in, like I'm raising the host, um, the camera they were using and the boom and everything. They, I think they what do they call it? Um, uh, anyway, it was this massive thing that sat on the ground and it, it like allowed you to shake and things like that. And the guy filming would move around it with ten thousand dollars. Oh yeah, for that thing. See, I can't handle that. Not for a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Marshmallows. Maybe, yeah, I mean, yeah. those. It's <laughs> impressive the kind of technology they use. I could never be a, a cameraman if I didn't have that stuff. Well, so we, we actually about, called up Bishop Barron and asked him what mics he used. So the mics that you and I are using right now are the same things that Bishop Robert Barron uses on his podcast. Oh yeah, exact same mics. Yeah, we we called. Well, up the, the microphones fire. are great. The stands we're using are terrible. We we have the boom stands. So I have to hold it the whole time. Once we have a real real. Uh, once you know we go back Hispanics to a real studio. Did? In Latin America, they got this big chain around their neck, and then the corded mic is just plugged mm. into that chain, so it just right. hangs off of the. Oh, for like mass, you're saying? Yeah, Spanish priest. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty good. It's a nice rig. Mm. Now, uh, I, I was thinking we need to invent some sort of Bluetooth thing so that we can get rid of the cords, you know? Oh, for, for mic Because I, I, I do mass over at Lourdes, and Father Brian makes me wear this Britney Spears mic yeah. Yeah. that goes, you know, it looks like the headphones with the yep. little microphone, and yep. so you can dance while you preach, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing it, man. I guess it'll see better sound does. quality, but I, I was wearing one of those one time, and I went to give, like, I did it at a wedding, and I was not used to wearing it, and I went to give the bride a hug, and the mic went right in her mouth. Oh, <laughs> It was, like, stick. Oh, I know. No. Oh, was, Talk about awkward. Yeah. Hug. Oh, Actually, th- th- this, I'll, I'll transition in awkwardly, speaking of awkwardly. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Can I? Oh, sorry. Absolutely. Go ahead. I well, just because I, I love inventing things. You know okay. I love inventing things. Yeah, absolutely. And I came up with one the other day, okay. and I wanted to throw it out there and see what the people think. That is, um, it's kind of a vacuum seal type of thing. Um, it, it's a device you put on the end of the air mattress that you camped with. Oh, yeah. So that you can get that last bit of air out. You can oh. roll it up and stuff it in the right. stuff sack. I watched Father Nathan Goble <laughs> struggle <laughs> to get that thing back in a stuff sack <laughs> for probably an hour. I mean, nice. he was just, I'm like, dude, maybe we give up. Can we just tie <laughs> it or something? <laughs> No, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Well, the thing is, he couldn't get that last bit of air out. Mm. So it doesn't fit the way it did when you first bought it. Right. So all you got to do is get this little plastic device, screw onto the end of of the nozzle, and then you pump it 
so that it gets the last bit of air out of that. They're out. Yeah. yeah. Super cheap. I mean, don't would, they have? It would cost two bucks to manufacture that thing. Don't they have inflators that you can actually reverse, so you can like suck the air out just like you blew it in? Or would yeah, you guys blow most these of things these, up by? These are like yeah, by human. Yeah, these oh, things are okay. real simple, so it's not an air mattress. Okay, like an air mattress. Oh, I see. I know. Yeah, what you're, saying. you're gonna pump that up with a little yeah, electronic yeah, yeah, yeah. pump. It's just a little. This pad is almost. like a hiking. I see. Okay. Pad, though. Okay. But maybe not enough people have these. Things. Yeah. Yeah. But you can, yeah, you, you manually inflate it, and then you're supposed to just be able to roll it up, yeah, okay. and it'll squeeze the air out. But I it know doesn't... exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, there we go. Yeah? As long as it's small enough, because obviously people that are camping want something it's light and super, small. It's and... super, super small device. Now, you just said this publicly, so any, any listener could now steal this idea and patent no, it. No, don't patent it, because <laughs> uh, I, I want to patent it, and then, <laughs> and then give the patent to um, Christ in the City. Oh, nice. I just talked yeah, to them at the lunch homeless. today, yeah. and they they are. Uh, this is a program of Catholic missionaries that help the homeless, yeah. and befriend the homeless, and um, are awesome in here in Denver. And um, I was just talking to them today about how I don't have any money to give them, but I have ideas, Boku, nice. and I could make a patent <laughs> and then give it to them, and they get royalties. Well, this podcast comes out on Thursday, so you got to get this thing. All right, any of you who are in the in the camping gear industry. Let's talk. Yeah, because somebody's got to manufacture. I don't have time to manufacture. I was going to say you got to you got to get the uh, you got to your rights for this thing before Thursday, so nobody steals it. But I do. I you, don't. You have more faith in our listeners than I do. I don't even know how to start with the patent stuff. <laughs> I think neither. it's expensive too. I can't afford that yet. Yeah. There's one idea I'll just throw out there. Any of you who want to make a million bucks, you're just welcome to do it. I there guess. There you go. Dig in for all those millions of campers. All right. Um, so. Uh, Mikey, you were the only one who was not on our scandal podcast. Um, yes. And so anyway, I, I was thinking about like, I want to hear what you have to say about it, but I, I wanted to do it in the context of something that happened to me, a few things that happened to me recently that, that I got to open up my mind to the reality of, of community. Because if you look at, at the, the scandals, you have, of course, personal sin, the personal sin of the individuals who, who are who are at fault. Okay. But you also have, and I think this is what the, the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report came out with, you also have uh, communities that supported that supported these kind of behaviors in one way or the other. Um, you know, so you have uh, again individual sin, but also that individual sin is is supported and, and maybe even um, amplified by multiple people that, that support each other and therefore kind of lessen the the conviction or lessen the the guilt of it because this is what peer pressure is right we had we all had it in high school middle school if i'm doing something wrong if i can convince you to do it wrong with me i'm going to feel better about myself because it's not just me doing it now i've involved you in it as well and when you have a society or a culture or a seminary or whatever it might be where where they are seeking out or using peer pressure or even, I, I think in the case in the church, you have you have men that are actually seeking other men with these dysfunctions and disorders, and and, and then welcoming them into their community to make themselves feel better, or or whatever it might be, whatever I'm. There, there's evil community, community oriented towards evil, I see and, what and you're that saying. is a, is a place is a place where where evil men doing evil things can come and can feel affirmed instead of instead of convicted. Um, yeah. And you might say, um, not just like those particular actions, but even um, a community like the, we, we've seen the problem of the, the bishops moving people from parish to parish, or moving priests from parish to right. parish. In right. this, and that's like, we all get really, really worried and upset about that, because if you, if you can address the, the, the sexual problems... And um, we think we've done that in certain ways, like uh, with psychological evaluations before seminary right. and all this stuff, um, and a lot more oversight and care. Um, praise be to God. I think the church is a very safe place. But um, that kind of sort of attitude from the leadership that says we're, we can do whatever we want, and we're not accountable, and we right. can... Um, kind of we don't have to be transparent and uh so there's can be like secrets and kind of shady dealings and all these things and they just sort of 
that's how it's done. You and know? we don't need to involve the wider and world. And so you in this come in into way. the community saying, "Well, I know that that's how things are done, and it's you know it's okay." So then, then you have this sort of corporate sin. Of, it's just like a fallen community where things aren't aren't always handled the best way. But that's kind of how it's that's how the world works, or whatever. Yeah, and sometimes you know? this is extremely malicious, and other times it's it's just it's. It's it's neglect. So sometimes it's, yeah. it's you know. I don't think. Yeah, I think most of the time it's just benign. It's it's fairly benign, but it's it's still it's a temptation. Just as right. people individuals are tempted to things, there's always a temptation of communities to sort of permit things or to overlook things or to encourage each other in in bad ways. I guess. Right. I and don't know. Is that what you, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but I I, I think you know there is. Like I've said before, if if I have if I if I desire to do something evil, and and if my community whatever that is identifies it as evil, I'm gonna be in this place of like I'm gonna feel bad about myself. I'm, I I want to do something, and and my the foundation of my support around me is telling me don't do it. They're telling me it's it's harmful to them or to me or to others, and so I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I might still do it, but at least my community is identifying it as evil. That is evil. What you're doing is evil. And then I say, okay, I've identified it as evil. But I can, if I want to do something evil, I can go online. In other words, with, with the internet now, and I can find someone in the world that's online that's going to say, I like doing that too. And if we both like doing it, why is it evil? Well, you know, what? Why? Let's just tell each other it's okay to do it. And I'm going to find community that, that supports me doing something that is harmful and evil. Mm. And so it's, it, that's in this day and age is so easy to find. And obviously a lot of the, the, the things coming out in the scandals happened back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. But there, there was still this, this way of kind of finding like-minded individuals who, who would, would remove any real healthy guilt any any real healthy aversion to it by saying we're all doing it together and that there's kind of this this blindness this um, intentional blindness to the to the results and to the reality of what's going on and this this happened in so many places in the church and, and in a widespread way that that the, the culture of of the church as a community and the smaller communities within it allowed these things to happen because of the the imperial episcopacy and the, I'm trying to find that article so I can give a shout out to the uh, to the author um but anyway so it's like you know th- those things are there so I want to share now I can I well I don't know where you're go- going exactly but um I just want a little caveat maybe a little yeah, um, nuance here, um, because when we're talking about this, I don't. I think because it's so abstract, and we're talking about it in a sort of abstract way. Right. It might sound like this is a general kind of issue, like all like the church has got this sickness, and it's happening everywhere you would look. Yeah. And I don't think that's the case at all. Um, to say that we have general problems in our leadership about sort of. Uh, corporate corruption or something like that. Right. I think it's easy to suspect, and there's always problems, and there's you know fallen human nature. But I don't think we have a sort of crisis of widespread corruption. Um, I know some other people do, um, but I just want to I, I want to put that out there because even we're we're talking about an example of how sin can work and within people and within a community. Right. But I don't want to just give the impression that this is the way we're looking at the church at large right now. Right. I mean, she's one, she's holy, and yeah. she's, you know, Catholic, apostolic. She's holy. She remains holy. And I do think these these problems arise, and the Lord protects her, his church, and she remains holy in spite of um, real problems that happen in certain places. Yeah. And so I just say that because I think... You know, maybe one another example would be um, something much less devastating or consequential, but um, might uh, describe the dynamic of this sort of communal attitude. Say, for example, you go into a parish and you say, or a pastor, a new pastor comes into a parish, and everybody at the beginning and end of Mass are chatting like crazy mm-hmm. and like going, you know, just like a lot of socializing in, this, in the church and doesn't like that. And he knows that other people in the in the parish don't like that. And he says, can we just move out into the vestibule? Right. There's lots of space. Or we can go in the hall, and we can all socialize. But we want to protect this place for prayer. Right. 
And those people who want to do quiet prayer and everything in here, they have a right to do that. Yeah. So let's do Well, it gets hard, though, when you've got these established patterns of, right. you know, you, people could even agree and say, well, we know this is best. Habits. And then they just start talking to each other right after Mass or whatever. And they're, they're thinking of a good, which is like community and connecting with your neighbor there and everything. Um, but it's just, you know, like it's hard to break habits. And that's one way that like a communal phenomenon can be happening. Right. You know, everybody who comes there starts to do this. Yeah. And those people, some of the people who are trying to do something else, like quiet prayer or something, I feel intimidated. Like they're not allowed to do that or something. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I don't know. That's an example, a good example, but it's just an example of how a community can share certain behavior. Right. And, um, and even when it wonders, like, should we be doing this? There might be some momentum of habit, yeah. or and and that, that's what I just looked at the article. It's called "The End of the Imperial The End of the Imperial Episcopate." It's a First Things article by uh, J. Scott Newman. He's a priest um, in uh, Is it this South year? Carolina, I believe. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, just just a uh, yeah, just a, a few probably three weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so, okay. so it, it's it's a response to the the scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but but one of the things he says is like every bishop would just be called father instead of bishop or your grace or your excellency. And I, I think what he's doing is he's saying like those practical things are exactly what you're saying. In other words, we're trying to turn the ship. We're we're trying to end these things. But but even you know little things like calling someone a different name that is more scriptural or more paternal, more more like a, a shepherding name. Those little things can start to turn that ship and to change yeah. the cultures. But I'm talking about like a, a much more malicious and evil culture. That then you know that 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 we need to do big things as well as small things. We need to do both, and this is where we we can't say here's the solution because the the solution is so subtle in many ways and unseen at this point that we just need to be vigilant, and there needs to be vigilant about making sure that the ship is turning and these cultures are are. But you know, you're right. I mean, there it is still a very small, thank God, small percentage of bishops and small percentage of priests. Um, but the the devil hates the church. I mean, he with with, with the greatest hatred we can ever imagine. So the devil's obviously attacking the church more than he is other institutions. Now, other institutions are suffering as well, but the devil's not attacking Hollywood and and Penn State, you know, and, and he's not attacking other institutions as much as he's attacking the church. And so we we are gonna be we are gonna have to be more vigilant and work harder to, to root it out yeah. because the enemy is working harder for us. So um but the the what I want the subject of this podcast to be is like how do we create Community. So, like, if if you or I want to become harder for the devil to hold on to, you and I want to make make our our souls um, toxic to the working of the devil. So we want to make it. And so, what we do is we grow in holiness, we grow in sanctity, we grow closer to Christ, we grow in union with Him. We say in the Greek word theosis. So, the the more I become one with Christ, united with Christ, the devil he's going to try harder, he's going to attack more, but but he's not going to have a foothold as much. I'm going to become more naturally, if you will, resistant to the working of the devil. And so that's holiness. That's growing in sanctity. That's becoming a saint. Um, now, Father John said something one time I want to do an entire podcast on with him, or mm. at least have him talk about with the companions. He said one time, just totally off the cuff in a, in a podcast, we didn't, we didn't touch on it because it was kind of a whole different topic, but he said he believes that he's starting to think more and more and more that that people are saved in groups rather than individually. Yeah. Now we don't want to be heretical, but but there it's very scriptural, right? Um, the centurion, Zacchaeus, um, the paralytic, all these all these people were saved in a sense because of the prayers of others, or in this case, the centurion and Zacchaeus as a family. I mean, Jesus says salvation has come to this home. So there's something about not only being like growing, making it harder for the devil to grab onto us or to hold onto us as individuals, but as community. So. Um, my thoughts started because, well, it didn't start, but we, we watched a safe environment. So past two weeks in my parish, we've had the safe environment training. Volunteers, anybody working with children need to go through this training. So we're watching a video. It's out of the Diocese of Phoenix. And in the video, there's this situation. And I don't know, this is, this is kind of uh, safe environment uh, trivia, but if you had to guess what percentage of sexual abuse was child on child, what percentage of all sexual abuse among human beings was child on child? What would you guess? Oh man, I can't even. I guess I forget these some of these statistics. Thirty percent. Thirty percent. Thirty percent of all sexual abuse. What is that? Is that teenagers or is that? It can kids? be teenagers. That's under. In other words, seventeen and younger. Oh wow! 
So, so, yeah. so, but and and it's it's so. In other words, the the story in this training was a a wife sits down with the husband and tells the husband, "Our daughter came up to us today and said that her cousin was was they would." wear the same blanket where they're watching a movie and she would touch her inappropriately. Mm. And so she said her cousin, her older cousin, I think the daughter was 10, the old cousin was 15, and she said um, her cousin is touching her inappropriately. And then so the the father said, well, then I need to talk to my brother. And the wife said, no, we need to call the police. And and the husband said, why? But this is my brother. She need to talk to him. And she said, because most of the time, if, if a child is sexually abusing another child, the the older child that's doing the abuse is probably being abused themselves. And oh, so you yeah. cannot okay, go to the parents in case they're the ones doing the abuse. And I'm hearing this. And I mean, my family is so close. I mean, I don't I honestly don't know another family that is as as close as mine is. How much we love each other, we see each other, we affirm each other. We we never fight. It's I mean, it's a miracle. God is at work. It's just it's absolutely incredible how much my family loves each other. All my yeah. siblings. But I and I thought yeah, I see that too. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. It's I, I, I stand in awe of it every day. It's beautiful, yeah. and, and I. But I think you know, if 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 that was happening in my family, and if I had a daughter that was being abused by one of my brother's kids, you know, to take an example, I I would it would be so hard to go to the police. And so I thought, I thought, okay, if that is the case, and if that's the right thing to do, which is the policy now, because this video said it, it's our safe environment policy. I said, so what I want, what I want to do is exactly what we did as companions. And I don't remember if, if who, who was all was there. I think it was the Lord's Day on a Saturday night. But I, as I've said before, if somebody asked me, if one of your priest companion brothers in our fraternity, if, if one of them was doing something illegal and immoral and something that was evil and harmful, would you turn them in? And I think if you asked any of us, if like one-on-one with, with, a, with a questioner and they said, would you do this? I think all of us would say yes. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to say in that case. And I said, I, I, wanna, I wanna share with all of you guys and I want us to all look each other in the eye. And we did this on a Saturday night. We all said... If one of us was doing something and abusing, if one of us was a sexual abuser, would we turn each other in? And all of us looked each other in the eye and said, yes. Like, I'm telling you right now, brother, out of my love for you and my love for your priesthood and love of, of anybody who, who might be a victim, we, we, this is for the better of the church and the better of our community and the better for our souls. And it's better for your soul if I turn you in. And I'm going to look you in the eye and tell you that. You know, none of this, we're supporting each other and hiding evil. No, no, yeah. I'm going to look you in the eye and say, it's better for your soul if, if you turn yourself in and if you won't do it, I will. And I, I love the ability to have that conversation with each other so that it's not just this idea. It's not this idea we're saying, no, I, you know what I would do and I know what you would do. And this creates healthy community, and it's harder for the devil to affect our community as companions. It's hard for the devil to affect that community if we're saying to each other, I'm, I, I, I want your holiness, and I want my holiness, and I, I don't want any victims, so I'm going to hold you accountable. So I thought, yeah. what a great... And it sounds, it sounds a little bit like it's not, I don't know, loyal friendship or something. I'm going to rat you out. And in fact, I'd probably try to convince them to turn themselves Exactly, in. yeah. But... Um, but if they but don't, if they won't, yep. then yep. no, we got to protect the kids and it's for their own. It's almost like a friend who, you know, is an addict and you say, I'm, yep. I want to, I'm going to tell you to go to rehab. Yeah. You know, like I don't, it's for the, it's for the good of the person, yeah. you know, it's out of love for them and it's what a real friend does. Yep. And, uh, I'm sure it would be horrifying. I can't even, you know, it's hard to imagine this is just like a, a, um, theoretical situation. Right. right. But... It's true, and I would want, they say, do, you know, Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto yeah. you. I would want something drastic to change. If, I, if my life was kind of bearing that kind of fruit, and if I was yeah. sitting in that sort of extreme way, right. uh, somebody's got to help me to stop, right. you know? Somebody's but, got to get do something, intervene. Exactly, and I, and I love the fact that we can have that conversation to say, look, if, if I become a meth addict... I, in other words, and you find out, I, you've told me, and we've had a conversation about the fact that you're going to turn me in. Like, like, in other words, you're going to go tell the archbishop. You're going to tell the bishop. If, if I'm telling you right now, Mike, if I, if, if you see me I'm not doing, a meth <laughs> if you see me doing any but, hard drugs yeah. and, and I'm addicted, go to my bishop. And I, 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 but it's nice to have this conversation to say, to, to be able to say, I'm not going to catch you off guard. You're not going to catch me off guard by, by, by taking, these 
extreme steps to help me because out of love to help me out of an extreme case. Yeah. And and I, I love having that conversation because I don't want I would never want to catch any of you off guard or anybody off guard. And if we've had that conversation, which we had the other night, whatever it was, uh, it was a few weeks ago. Um, but the, this the rubber hit the road on, uh, and I've told you already about this already. Um, but I had had, uh, of course, we had recorded the conversation. I don't think you were you heard it if, unless you listened to the podcast yet. But the one that that John Nathan and I did about this, I did, yeah, did? I listened okay. to it. So, so it was so interesting. Yeah. We had the conversation about um, false accusations and how I was I was saying. And now John and I should finish this conversation. But on the podcast, um, John and I disagreed a little bit about about what that would look like if any of us were falsely accused. In other words, we didn't do anything, but somebody accused us, and it yeah, was false. You, so your take was sort of like, we, we have to pay for this communally. And so uh, I, as yeah. a priest, have to am going to end up suffering the consequences yeah. of other priests sinning. And he was like, no, I'm not taking any of this on, right. on my own. Yeah. That, that would be unjust. I didn't do it. Right. And the people who do need to have those consequences yeah. so they're not, not, not I don't know, something like that yeah it, it, it wasn't because I don't believe that 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 we as innocent priests need to take we that we need to take involuntary suffering like I think we need to live lives of penance and we need to say I'm going to live a life of asceticism prayer fasting almsgiving I'm going to sacrifice myself for the better than the church but I do think it's an evil as, as we talked about an evil if I get falsely accused but what I was saying was that if we do get falsely accused in other words, we should not be debilitated by that because Christ himself was falsely accused. And, and, and maybe, I, maybe I didn't explain it well enough on the podcast. I had to go back and listen. But what I was saying is, is, is it should not be, if I get falsely accused of something, it should not be the end of the world for me. I mean, I, yeah. I, God only knows how well, I'll react. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's not Right, exactly. Limits. That's a good point. It should not be a we, surprise. We can basically expect persecution. Right. Yep. You know. Yep. And you were kind of saying, well, this yeah, we're going to suffer like the reputation of the church has suffered, so all priests are going right. to suffer this Yeah, no, and that, that absolutely. Not necessarily, you know, we're we're owed we we ought to. Yeah. You know, suffer the Yeah. Yeah, so I and, and it, I think it's more of a Both positions in my in in my kind of reckoning sounded like they made sense to me. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle between um Accepting the the fallout from real scandal in the church, you know, and we're leaders in the church, so right. people are right. going to treat us a certain way. And I don't and the think world we is. disagreed. And then um, on the other hand, being very clear that um, there there are certain certain practices and attitudes that some have committed that we're putting an end to. That's not going to happen again. Right. And then nobody's going to do this. And the guys that you're dealing with, interacting with regularly, are not those guys. We right. don't do this. Right. So um, our names need to be cleared, you know. Right. And our reputation is it's important. It's not that we're trying to be honored, but out of respect for Jesus and his church, yeah. we got to make sure everybody knows priests are trustworthy. Yeah. And, and also out of justice. I, I know I need to, I do think it's important, although some of the fathers would disagree with me, um, some of the desert fathers especially, but I do believe that, in other words, we sh- if, if I am falsely accused, I need to make it known that I believe it was, it was false accusation. Like, like, I did not do this for justice's sake, whereas some of the fathers would say, if you're falsely accused, just take it. You know, and and just be silent. Now, there there's a place for that. Of course, there is. If they said there is, there's a place for that. But I think for the for the sake of justice, maybe that's where John and I were not on the same yeah. page. But um, okay, so t- you got to tell your story because yeah, exactly. We're just so, rehashing the old argument, right? Right. Right. right so now. so what happened was is um, I had two more conversations between when when we recorded the podcast and and this event where I had two conversations about how to handle false accusations and, and, and how, how would we do that if that happens, kind of preparing my heart for that reality. Um, well, in, in, a, in a very odd way, um, I was able to experience this because... Is there a, is there a mute on that? Because this one is coming out of the speaker too. What speaker? Well, from the computer, and it's echoing in the... Oh, Oh, I don't Sorry, know. I, I don't, no, that's okay. Technical difficulty. Uh, I just, yeah. All right, I was distracted. And okay. I, this is a this is a huge story. I mean, it's yeah. like a big deal. So yeah. Um, so okay, um, I'm back. Okay. Awesome. So so what happened was is is I'm Thursday night, week and a half ago. I'm laying in bed, eleven thirty at night, and I get a call from my brother in law who's borrowing my car. And this is important. He's borrowing my car. 
Um, and he was, he was driving um, in, a, in Lakewood, a neighborhood that I don't live in. And he pulled over, he got gas, and he went in to get snacks. And when he came out, there were three police cars with their lights on surrounding my car. And they said, are you Michael O'Loughlin? And he said, no, that's my brother-in-law. You know, he owns the car. And they, and they said, um, he has a warrant out for his arrest for multiple counts of child pornography. And my brother-in-law didn't know what to say. Yeah, shocked. I mean, obviously, he was shocked, and, and he was distraught. He loves me immensely. He didn't believe it. Um, so anyway, the cop took his ID and, and you know, said in, in multiple ways, you know, he said well, he lives in Denver. He didn't have my address memorized, but, you know, he was completely cooperating, but obviously not knowing quite, quite what to say. And so, uh, so anyway, the cop pretty much says, you know, we don't have any jurisdiction in Denver, but, but he has a warrant out and so he will get caught. And, and the, the cop was, was very aggressive, which I, I understand in that case in some senses, but there were, there were some things and some neglect as well. But anyway, so he calls me and he wakes me and I, I, I was in bed. I wasn't asleep yet though. And I, I just don't know what to do. I'm obviously with it at this, at, at this juncture in our society, in the place in the church. And I call my brother who's in law enforcement and, um, and he just, I woke him up and I, and I said, um, what do I do? And he says, well, just call non-emergency. So I call non-emergency and, uh, I just, I called the non-emergency police number in my district here in Denver. And, and she says one second. And, uh, I tell her my name, my address. And then she comes back a few minutes later and says, um, are you armed? I said, no. Have you been drinking? No. Okay. Well, we're sending a, an officer over. And so, Anyway, in this time, my brother, who's in law enforcement, calls my brother-in-law, who got who had the incident happen, and my sister, and they're both wide awake at this point, and he's he's pretty much telling them this just doesn't happen randomly, like a warrant out and things like this. There's something. There's some. This is something big. Um. So anyway, so I had about forty-five minutes in between. Oh man! In between when I got the call and when the police officer showed up, um, because what all are you other thinking calls, at this point? Because it's like yeah. Did somebody set you up? Oh, did, I went through. I went through everything. You, I thought, did, did somebody? Did somebody get into my Wi-Fi? Like here, here at the rectory, did somebody? Is somebody using my Wi-Fi? And that's what they where they found. You know. By the way, I don't. I wasn't. I don't even like sharing the story because I don't even like using the term child pornography. Like just that that idea is so oh, it's, evil yeah, that it's, it's just it's, it's even hard to say it's a hard phrase to say but but i was exists, thinking yeah. exactly and i was thinking like did a neighbor get in there did i ever loan the parish computer out did i mean i loan my my phone out to homeless people that need to make phone calls and they'll like hey can i use your phone i'll give it to them and they'll walk off and like make a phone call i'm, so I'm trying to give them some spinning. privacy you're so just I mean, spinning exactly out what, what, was this? what the heck is this going on so anyway oh. so the cop the cop arrives and at this point I've I've taken my computer and my phone and I put them right by the door. I was in my pajamas so I put shoes on and like what was going through my mind for this half hour or so was how long does it take to discover that it was false? Mm-hmm. And I also thought the conversation I had had before was was saying, you know, anybody who's falsely accused because we're human. The the, the number I came to my head was 20% of people are still going to doubt you. Like, if I get falsely accused, yeah. I think 20% of my parish is still going to, is always going to be a little bit like, well, they say it was false, but just the idea was put in their mind. And sometimes it's hard to get that out of the mind if someone has been been accused of this. Well, it is hard to trust. And I, I guess when, when you had told this story the other day, I was like, you know, I don't think, you could, have been, you could be sitting in jail for 20 years or whatever, um, because... I think a jury would just convict you. We kind of assume right, that this is true right. of a priest. And, exactly. And, I mean, that's the rumor. You know, right. the rumor out there is that it's uh, a messed up culture. Yeah. There's something unnatural about their lives and all this stuff. And so, I got yelled at on the street the other day just walking wearing a cassock. Yeah, I think guy a lot yells, of people you know? are just informed by the media and right. are, they right. don't know any different. They right. don't actually know any priests, you know. So right. So, I mean, I, mean, I could Catholics even... Catholics would know differently, but, um, yeah, so... How did it resolve? But even even a false accusation that that is local. I mean, a, a, even the suggestion of an accusation. Oh, yeah. I think in some people's minds, and because we're human, can can, can they, they'll never heal from that. They'll never get oh, yeah. the respect and back that's the that tragic. they had before. Your own, don't, your own people, the people you've loved. Yeah, it is right. hard. To, it's hard to trust right. when you so, don't know. You know. Yeah. So what happens is, is the, the police officer comes. 
I, I, I've actually already at this point remade my bed with new sheets because I figured it was a Thursday and how long does it take to, to find out it's false and am I going to be in jail and another priest coming in and covering the parish on Sunday and um, all this happened like in a half an hour. So the cop comes, he takes my ID, he goes back to the car, you know, n- no lights, no, no handcuffs, anything, and he comes back, he gives me back my ID and he says, I'm sorry, sir, there's someone one letter difference in your last name. And he has a He's warrant out from two years ago. He's uh, the guy we're looking for. He has a wife, and he, they gave the name of the wife. You know, have you ever been married? No. What color is your car? I told him, what's your middle name? What's your birthday? I mean, I gave him all this information. They said, sorry, we had the wrong guy. Uh, and and, and no. it, it, was, it was like this. I, I, I had this, obviously, this deep relief. But I said to him, I just need you to understand that I'm a priest. Like, I don't think he knew I was a priest. Yeah. I said, like, this is, as my sister said, if this had been, like, you know, making and selling crystal meth, we all would have laughed. Yeah. But it was like, it was being a priest and, and being accused of, of getting, having worn out for somebody with a similar last name than mine for child pornography. It was just the timing was incredible. You know, and, and, and so anyway, so... That what happened was is it turned out that that the Lakewood police have this system where they search for similar last names for warrants, especially for something strong like this. Yeah. So anyway, they they apologized. Um, but the point I'm trying to get at is that is that my my brother, who's in law enforcement, had called my brother in law and sister and had explained to them this this is going to change everything. I mean, the way he described it, he said like this is now forever in our family that there was this accusation against our, against our family member who was a priest and it's, is, is it false? And he even said to them, there's, this is, you know, my own brother. He said, there's a chance this could be real. I mean, we never know. And so yeah, on and Sunday like he had said, the, you know, this is, this is serious. They wouldn't do this. Right. You, you don't have a warrant something for this happened. many counts. We, we, and, and it's just like something crazy. So obviously it ended up being the wrong name, the wrong person. And that was the issue. But to finish up the story, I go to my family that Sunday, and the only people that knew were this limited family members. So I shared it with my entire family, and we had one kind of uh, family friend who we hadn't seen in years that was there as well. And I shared the family the story. My mom and dad had not heard it yet. My, my brother um, in law enforcement, he had um, he was there, and he said he told the story. He said. I just want to apologize. But he already apologized to me. He says, I want to apologize for ever thinking that my brother might have done this. Uh, yeah. and, 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 I, and I said to him, look, you know, like, we'll, you're in law enforcement. I'm in the priesthood. We have to be open to anything. We, if we are shocked, we are debilitated. Like if somebody comes to me in confession and says something that shocks me, I'm not a good priest. It's actually harming my ability to love on that person to be debilitated by shock. Now, shock is not a bad thing because we, we have high expectations for each other. That's not a bad thing. But if I'm debilitated by it, and both law enforcement and priests cannot be debilitated, like visibly or yeah. you know, evidently you debilitated. You have to have things. a thick skin. Plus, you, you really deal with uh, darkness and evil, and you know what people are capable of, and it's pretty, it can be... Oh yeah, um, pretty extreme, uh, right? So we we just not as you know like naive. You can't be naive. Right. You just have to recognize that a lot of people could do stuff that would surprise you, right? And that are really you know like bad things that human beings are capable of bad right. things. But then you just you don't want that to be anybody that you know or your family, right? Or and there's evil in the world, and we think we know people, but evil is real. And and so I I I do not fault him at all for for having that as a possibility because evil exists even those we love and we think we know the most. And so, but the point was that we can have this conversation, and my whole family could look at each other and say, "Thank God this was just the wrong name." But but we love each other, but we love each other also enough to say. If we're ever in this, just like we did as companions, if we're mm-hmm. ever in this situation, it's the best thing to make this known. And 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 to, if there's any victims, you know, the the victims need to know that justice is being done, and we're not because we care for someone, and it, it's a false care to not let them also be subject to justice and mercy but justice and so it was just i walked away from that conversation with my family and this guest we had and because my mother was like no i would never think that you know typical mom but god bless her but she doesn't need 
to have this kind of my mother doesn't need to have the same view of the world and the uh, a knowledge of the immensity of the evil that my brother and I do. Right. You know, I have multiple brothers, but yeah. especially he and I. So oh. like we, she doesn't need to be there. So she can be like shocked by it as she was, God bless her, and I and I love her for that. But I I, I don't fault my brother for thinking that at all. And I think he and I especially and, and all of everybody in our family needs to be open to that reality, just like we do as priests. But it was so nice to have that conversation. And this this family friend said your family's amazing. Like the fact that you could have that conversation with each other and be that honest and open and loving and apologetic and caring for each other. She said that was amazing. And it really was a test. And the whole point of all of this to me is that when we have this transparency, when we have this love and this conviction, when we actually call each other on in our communities, the devil cannot hold on. He tries, but the devil is so much about like, hiding things and doing things in the dark mm, and keeping yeah. things away from the light. If all these things are brought to the light in our conversations and community, it, it's much harder for him to work within that community. And it's really beautiful that we have in my family, it's really beautiful what we have as companions, that we can have these conversations say, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We need to hold each other accountable and we need to, to resist and detest any culture in our community that would allow the devil to rest. Mm. No, he, you know, he he might work, but he will never rest in well, my so community. What do you think about this? Like, there's um, scriptures talk about live in the light, be children of the mm-hmm. light. They also they also speak about um, confess your sins to one another. Yeah, and it's kind of worked differently in the history of the church. How kind of accountability and manifestation of sin works in the community, but yeah. at some points in the history of, of Christianity and Catholicism, you had kind of public confession mm-hmm. where someone would say... Chapter of faults in monasteries. I used to do Absolutely. this, and by the grace of God, I don't do it anymore. You know? And usually it's after conversion. You know, It wouldn't be like, hey guys, I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, what do I do? But maybe that's part of it. You yeah. know, you know if, if you've had a sin, if you've had a pattern of sin especially, then you know you're always capable of kind of slipping into that. Right. But um, so our, our tendency has been to kind of move toward private confession so that you, right. you're not totally accountable to the whole church, but you do have to manifest something and hear the words of, of God telling you that I have mercy on you. I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't despise you. I love you. I, you know, um, you are... A, a child of God, and you can be made holy, and you are holy, and these kinds kinds of things. Okay, so um, I do know of some communities that sort of recommend this public confession type of thing, and I think the benefit is, like you're saying, when you have that transparency, you kind of cut off the legs of the devil, who wants to keep things in secret, wants to push on things and say, oh, this is worse than it is, you know? Right. You know, somebody has a problem with gossip, and they, the devil just wants to tell you, you're a terrible person. You can't keep your trap shut. You can't, you know? Um, there's all kinds of different sins that the, the devil's really going to play on. But when they're, when they're out in the open, you could have somebody say, um, no, you're a good person, you know? We make mistakes. Right. And you also see other people make mistakes and all these things. Right. And um, I wonder where, like, the place... I think the best way to do that is just to have a small community that you're walking with as Christians, Mm -hmm. you know? It's probably friends or whatever. People you can talk to, maybe your family, maybe your parents. People you can talk to and say, I'm not perfect all the time. And you can hear, that's that's okay. You're going to, you know, you're going to get by, you know? You're going to survive. And... I think our tendency with the secrecy around sin is, is like something about control. I'm giving up, if I'm vulnerable about my own weaknesses, I'm giving people weapons that they can, you can, they can use against me. Right. You know? Well, you know, I can, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of bring it up. They're going to bring this back up. Well, you did this. Right. You, you screw up this right. way. Oh, well, you, you, you know that you're weak like this, and yet you keep doing it. Yeah. You know? So we guard our weaknesses. We guard our sin. Yeah. And uh, that's just not 
it's not a good strategy for the future. You know, it's, a community that's totally honest is the one that's going to be pure, like you're right. saying. It's very human to not want our sins to be known. It's very human and, and very, again, full of original sin to hide those things. But I think, I mean, in the early church, you, you had a certain point in the liturgy where those who were not initiated could not remain. So, I mean, before the creed, if you were not baptized, you got kicked out of the building. And I think that might be a good model to say, people in my community, people initiated into my community, they're ones that, that I, they know who Christ is. They know that we have a vulnerable God who showed strength through weakness. The, being naked and executed on the cross was the greatest moment of strength for Christ. And it, it manifested that. And you can only have people that understand that mystery within a community if you're sharing your sin. I can, I'm not going to scream my sins from the rooftop because those who don't have the same concept or understanding of who Christ is, what weakness is, what power is, they're not going to understand my sin. They're going to use it against me. But if I have in my community those who are like-minded about the power that comes in vulnerability, the power that comes in weakness, then it's true. I should be able to share almost, if not everything, with them because there is an understanding of what that is. And when it comes to salvation and even the role of the church, I think we need to get back into this. We need to get back into saying, you know, let more of the human weakness of the church show because that's in the crucified Christ. That's where the world will start to see our strength, is in our ability to be sinners who are being healed, who are being forgiven. And the church won't be this kind of powerful, rich, you know, oppressive institution anymore. It'll be a, an institution full of very broken people, but that are also happy and being healed. Yeah. And it'll become much more attractive if that's and the And who case. love each other. Right. Know? Why do you have to believe, you know, why do you have to be impressed by a group that loves each other, that have everything together? You go to the right. country club and people are like, wow, you impress me. Wow, you impress me. Yeah. You're not surprised. Right. It's when you go downtown and people are like falling over because they're drunk. Right. And somebody like actually cares about that and goes yeah. and lifts them up and brushes them off and somebody who knows their name and stuff. Yeah. That kind of love, you say, why? Why? Why would you want to waste your time with that loser? You know? right. um, it's easy it, to love people that have it all together, you right. know? Although, or at least look like they have it all together. But it's that's it's the, yeah, a lot harder the way of the world. Love broken but people. But that does, yeah. it starts to show like the genius of Christianity yeah. when you start to yeah. see love. At the point where it really should be kind of threatened or risky, yeah. and yet is given, and it yeah. doesn't make sense. It's yeah. got to be supernatural. So find, dear listeners, find community that that you can be really vulnerable and that you can speak to and say, "I love you enough to hold you accountable." And when if you are harming yourself or others out of love for you. I'm going to hold you accountable. And what do you think about that? In other words, let's have this conversation now so we're not having it when I've called the police on you because you've threatened suicide. You know, we're going to have a conversation now about this and so that vulnerability is is in place and we love each other more because of it. And that that community, just like personal holiness, you can have a communal holiness that makes it much harder for the devil, again, to hold on to you, to grab onto you, to get his fangs into you um, because we're growing as a community. We're going theosis, undergoing theosis as a community, mm. even as we are as individuals. Yeah, yeah. that's strength. Yeah. That's beautiful. I like that, man. And I'm, I'm sorry you went through that thing. Oh, so, I, that would so that would scare me. I see it as know? a blessing now. I tend to not finish stories well enough, so I just want to repeat what happened: is that somebody else does have a warrant out for oh, these yeah. crimes, yeah. but they have a, a name very similar to mine, and it got confused in the police database. And so, for about forty-five minutes, I thought that I was being falsely accused, and it turned out just being a mistake, a, a clerical mistake. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I I need to talk to my spiritual director about what was going into my head, like. When I thought I was going to yeah, be suffering this, moment. like a lot was going through my head. I'm not going to share it all now, but like I'm going to talk to my spiritual director about it first. Maybe I'll podcast on it after that. But all right, oh, shout outs, bud. We've gone long. Have we? I don't know. I think okay. so. This doesn't give seconds. It gives weird other numbers. But yeah, units. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't have a shout out, but I, I well, I, I guess I do. But I want to say, uh, Father John asked me to report what's going on with the podcast now. So. Um, I'll go ahead and 
so Father Mike Rapp is going to be finishing his doctoral thesis here in Denver, which is, of course, really good for us. But Father John in, in Rome is losing his podcast mate. So Sorry, buddy. So there's going to be three of us, Father Nathan, Father Mike, and I here in Denver recording. Father John's going to be back in Rome. We're going to try to find some way of bringing technology in to allow him to record. Obviously, I'd like him to record as much as he is now, um, but just do it over technology, which won't be as cool. Um, but we'll, we'll find a way of... of keeping Father John in the loop and making sure he's still recording with us on a regular basis. But you're going to hear a lot of Father Mike Rapp, Father Nathan Goble, and I together in person. We'll bringing Father John in as much as we can from Rome. But I, I love the fact that you're here in Denver now for the, oh, yeah. for the next year. This is, this is awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. And I'm going to be traveling around a little bit, um, taking care of research and nice. kind of a funny schedule where I'm back and forth so that I can uh, get make use of the library over there I see. and then also do the majority of my work back well here. you just have to record but, with father john when you're over there then there you go make sure, make sure you get it done yeah so yeah a little bit of change that way and yeah. then the um recording studio is moving too yes we're gonna have a we're gonna put the recording studio back in slosh gobel so i'm i'm moving in with father nathan and you're moving in with is this public yet i don't know you're moving in with Father Brian, with Father Brian Larkin. So we're, 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 you and I are both going to have real community in a way that we haven't really yes. before for extended period of time. So, um, but anyway, the studio is going to move back to Father Nathan Goebel's rectory now that the renovations are almost done and we'll have a real studio rather than holding the mics on our lap and sitting in my living room. So it'll be nice. Very nice. So that's the update. Update, podcast update. All right, I'm going to say my shout-outs for next time because we're going long. All right, Father Mike, good recording with okay. you. Okay. Blessings, everybody. Yeah, God bless you. Catholic Stuff Podcast to Gmail, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, excuse me, (laughs) and uh, iTunes. Oh, and uh, Alexa, play Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Anyway, she can do that now. So if you're listening this out loud in your Alexa, Alexa, just out. imitate Father Michael Allah. Alexa, send Catholic Stuff Podcast Whiskey. Yes. Extra. (laughs) Good night, all.